Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, it's a special CES 2017 live from Las Vegas. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have two guys from TechGage. Normally, when I get back from any trade show, Darren and I sit down and kind of go over some of the highlights from the show, some of the things I liked, some of the things I didn't like. And I thought, why not change it up a little bit and maybe interview some of the other editors that I run into at the show, kind of get their impressions and really see the show from a different perspective, not necessarily from the hardware enthusiast side of things like what I do here at Hardware Asylum, but more from just the regular general computing, some of the trends in terms of like networking and personal gadgets. And I figured, why not interview Rob Williams and Greg King from TechGage? I recorded this show sitting around a kitchen table in an apartment, so the audio quality isn't all that great, but we had a really good discussion, and I think it gets the point across. Without any further ado, here we go. We are taking a special look at CES 2017. I have a couple of guests here. To my right, I have Rob Williams from TechGage. And next to him, we have Greg King, also from TechGage. So, Rob, tell me a little bit about yourself. Introduce your site, and um, why do you like CES so much? <laughs> uh, well, I'm the founder of TechGage and the editor-in-chief. Uh, TechGage has been around since March 2005. Uh, I went to my first CES in 2007 and was instantly addicted. I, I always want to go to CES. It's, it's yeah. such a great show, great for networking, great for learning new products. Yeah, it's just a it's just a great show, but tiring. Yeah, it, it's a long few days, and it's not necessarily because of CES itself, but it's because of something that I call the CES sideshow, which is where the companies we see are not at the convention center in one place, unlike at Computex, where everybody's in the same hall at Nongon or something like that. Next to Rob, we have Greg King. Greg was on the last CES episode. Welcome back. Thank you. We're going to go through about our impressions of the show, because every year it's different. This is one of the years where CES was over the weekend. So it started on Thursday. We had a Friday showing, and then Saturday and Sunday, which you would think were extremely busy. But I'm looking at my email. The day before CES, I had maybe like 300 emails from various CES people that had me on their media list. Thursday was the day of the show. Friday was also a day of the show. Again, all these announcements. Hey, come by and see us. We're here. Come by and see us. It's here. And then come Saturday and Sunday, nothing. It's almost like CS ended two days early. Since we're all kind of part of the same media pool, did you kind of notice the same thing or was it a little bit different for you? No, I noticed the exact same thing. It's as if everybody is still in that routine of it not being through the weekend. Right. So yeah. Did that impact any of the meetings that you had? just seemed like kind of a weekend day, I guess. It yeah. just didn't seem like part of CES. That's yeah, the thing. That's for sure. And of course, you know, since we do the sideshow, we don't have to wait till the doors open. So I had several meetings the day before, which was good. Well, that's actually a really good point. A lot of our meetings, a lot of our, bu- well, actually, I think our busiest day was the day before CES actually officially opened. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's kind of jump right into what we liked about CES. We're going to I have a list of companies here that I visited. I know you saw a couple of them as well. Um, I'm going to start off with Gigabyte. At the the Gigabyte event, we had the launch of Aris, which was their cohesive gaming brand. Before that, it was limited to 
high-end gaming laptops. They had some keyboards and some gaming accessories like mice and headphones. Now it is going to include motherboards, and later on it will also include video cards. Um, my impression here is that they finally got one brand for all of the gaming stuff, which is now going to be the top-tier products from Gigabyte in terms of motherboards and video cards, and finally have something to compete with ROG. And As this ours brand is going to be competing with ROG, uh, on, I believe, day one, you went to meet with Asus, correct? Uh, yes, we did. All right, so what was your impressions of that booth? Uh, Asus always is an amazing booth because mm-hmm. the company is so large; it, its portfolio is is enormous. But in in terms of just the enthusiast stuff, we we saw the new Strix boards, mm-hmm. which are Asus's new uh, mainstream boards. It kind of sounds like it's the new high end board, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, Strix just it's kind of like the company's graphics cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so expect RGB and yeah. nice aesthetics and a lot of gamer features. Right. Yeah, the Strix was always something that I associated with high end gaming you know you see that the the new strix video card it always had the enlarged vrm it's dedicated to gaming it had the dual fans and whatnot i find it strange that that is the mainstream board though i agree 100 percent. i actually when i uh, i received a board to review i kind of assumed it was going to be like maybe a 300 hundred dollar board maybe around that area mm-hmm. but that strix series actually caps off at the uh, 199 price point yeah, and we had a mini ITX and a micro ATX, and they were $20 separated, I think, between all of them? Yeah, yeah, not much at all. Oh, wait, no, I take that back. The micro ATX was the same price because it was more complex. Okay, right. It, it had more layers in it, which seemed strange because it's a smaller board, but what they told me when I went to see them later in the week was that that board actually overclocked better than the full-size board. <laughs> And that could have been just the way that the signals were tweaked inside the the PCB layers or something like that. But um, you would think it would be cheaper. Yeah. Well, I found it kind of funny to be talking to Asus about that board. And uh, usually when you hear about ITX boards or small boards in general, the you don't really hear about promotion of overclocking and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But our contact specifically mentioned overclocking and said it's a great overclocking board despite being so modest in size. Mm-hmm. So for people that want a really small form factor PC and actually want to push their hardware a little bit harder, oh. they have that option. Yeah. And of course, speaking of overclocking, Asus has always pushed the ROG envelope, I should say. And the two boards that I find to be the, um, the premiere out of this series from them, we have the Maximus 9 Apex and then the, the new uh, Rampage Extreme. I believe it's the Rampage Extreme. They kept the Maximus 9 moniker consistent across all boards. It's oh. just called the Extreme. Okay. That would be why I remember Extreme then. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Apex, the thing I like about that board is the fact that it's not square. Well, it's square in that it will fit inside your case, but there are cutouts in the side yes. to, to kind of give the edges a little bit of detail. It's filled with benchtop features, voltage test points. They have a switch in there for a cold bug so they can get past it and be able to hit those 7 gigahertz numbers that we've been reading about online. What'd you think of the Extreme Board? What'd you think of that one? That's the one with the water cooling, correct? Yeah, it's the one with the water block that didn't encompass the entire board, but it did cool the VRM, the CPU, and the M.2 slot. It was it was massive. Massive. It is massive. Yeah. The price is also massive. We won't mention that one on the podcast here, but some of the features just seemed crazy. For instance, with the way the block was designed, it was made by Bits Power. It has a leak sensor around the fittings. And I asked him, well, how do you do that sensor? And he said, well, there's 
two rings of metal, and when water contacts across the two, it will go and set off an alarm. I thought that was crazy, but, you know, since it is a manufacturer's water block, which is something that, like, EVGA might include a, a water block with their video card, but ASUS has always kind of strived to have better warranties. So they need to have this kind of uh, customer satisfaction situation, I guess. Now, was that motherboard more or more targeted at overclockers or just high-end enthusiasts? I'd say it's more toward enthusiasts and gamers. I, again, it was one that I found interest in mostly because of everything that was on it. They've always packed stuff in with the Extreme board. So Correct me if I'm wrong, Dennis, but I guess for system builders and guys that do a lot of water cooling, I would think they would want their own water block, correct? Yeah. Well, typically, that's the only option. A lot of the over... Well, water coolers in general, they have a kit of parts that they always use with every build. Could you see the system builders that do primarily water cooling? Do you see them using this board with this block? Or do you think they'll move towards, or not move, but stay with their traditional way of building things with, as you said, the kit? Um, I don't think they have an option, really, because the board comes with the block, and they remove the VRM cooler. So if you remove that block... Obviously, you have to remove it so that you can put your uh, CPU and M.2 drive in. But if you removed it to put your own block on there, then the VRM is going to be wide open. It won't be cooled at all. And that kind of is just the direction they took with this board. But it's priced in such that the people that are after really want to have it. Another neat feature of it that I liked, uh, and I completely forgot about the Asus sound cards, the Zonars. Yeah. In the past, but one thing they carried over from that was the inlaid LED lighting in the audio ports. Yeah. And that was a neat touch. It, that brings up a good point, uh, LED lighting. So we'll talk about that later as like an overall theme, which anyone that has any idea has probably already figured out what that is. <laughs> you guys met with Fantex, correct? We did not. We ran into them at an industry party. We weren't able to... By that time, we had our schedule already pretty well ironed out. Right. And that's the one thing that we run into, you know, after party networking, you can't get the five, five minute elevator speech in the middle of a club, yeah. which is unfortunate. But I did meet with Fantex. They had some amazing new cases that are kind of betting out to see if they, the industry would like them. But the highlight there was their water cooling gear. So they're going to be making a full set of water cooling components, including fittings and water blocks for all of the major video card. They also had a couple of really large cases. One of them that stood like three feet tall and would fit into a, I would say a concert crate. It's crazy. So I brought up a lot of the companies that I really liked the products that were shown. Um, what were some of the highlights you saw from the show that you uh, were really impressed with? It's really hard to pick and choose because there's just so much out there. Um, NVIDIA of course had great stuff. AMD, Intel, Intel had, the coolest product, I think, mm -hmm. uh, a little compute card. I forget mm -hmm. what it's called exactly, but it's super small. It's If you had a couple credit cards stacked, it'd be basically the same size, right. yet it's an entire computer underneath. Mm -hmm. It's actually a seventh-generation core processor, and it's meant for IoT kind of things, like even refrigerators. That's the, that's the example Intel gave over and over, so it seems like that's where we're going to see it first. <laughs> In but, refrigerators. No. Yeah, it seems weird, but people who have these smart uh, refrigerators, they'll be able to upgrade the computer inside mm -hmm. because nobody replaces the refrigerators every couple years, right? They buy a refrigerator and it lasts about 20 years, so it, this gives them a way to actually upgrade it over that period. Well, other applications would be point of sale, mm -hmm. uh, well... Spend two minutes outside here in Las Vegas, and you see all of the signage, mm -hmm. all very bright, all very uh, 
very intense and the ability to upgrade the underlying computing system with what I would imagine Intel is hoping will become a standard. Just you have a slot, you slide it in. Yeah. Um, kind of like the old card bus that was on laptops. Exactly. Well, that was the analogy they made. It was like the old PCMCCI or no, PCMCIA slots. Yeah. That's a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> so Greg, what, uh, what did you find that was interesting that, uh, from the show, not necessarily even from the show, but even from, you know, just ramblings around. Well, um, I will say one thing that is always impressive at CES, one thing that constantly changes for the better every year are televisions. <laughs> and that was no exception this year. LG, I think, stole the show with um, their W series mm -hmm. of uh, super, super thin. Uh, Dennis, you and I saw it today. Rob and I saw it yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, it was just over two and a half millimeters thick. <laughs> now, that didn't include the PCB or anything like that. They, no. um, they pretty ingeniously hid that in the sound bar, and there was a very thin strip that extended upward from the sound bar to where the television, uh, the bottom of the television started. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the sound bar where you're going to have your IO, your, uh, your audio ports, um, uh, your ethernet ports, things like that. But it was absolutely gorgeous. 4k HDR OLED. It was, uh, they did a really good job on that. Yeah. Funny thing about OLED is, uh, it first got announced maybe three or four CESs ago. And everyone was saying that it's not going to be any bigger than a cell phone screen. And now we have these super flat televisions that are 65 inches wide. You can curve them, which was something else that LG had on display, which was their, yes. their I'm, I'm going to call it the Fremont wall or the <laughs> Fremont tube. But they had curved screens going up 20 feet in the air. All of them showing 4K HD video all set together in a mesh. And I got in there and I was walking around because it was after the show had started their little demonstration. I'm like walking around and they had a space scene and I almost felt like I was moving, even though I was moving, like moving faster than I was supposed to be. Um, it was crazy, but, uh, also it was crazy dark. So it was really hard to get a photo, but I'll see if I can include one in the show notes. So you get an idea of just the massive scale of of this particular display. It was one of the most impressive demos I've seen personally at the convention center for CES. Yeah. It, it was almost awe-inspiring. It was just so incredible. Yeah. Samsung had a similar one, but it was a projector and then four QLEDs, what they're calling it. Mm -hmm. It's the same technology, but they had four of those screens in a, in a grid in the middle, but then a big projector going over top of it. And they were showing how um, your television can be connected with all of your devices, which was an overlying theme with their booth where we had um, a connected refrigerator with a camera so you could see what was inside of it and a grocery list. So if you need, were going to make nachos or something like that, it would look to see if you had cheese in the fridge and along with the, some other stuff and then give you a shopping list of everything you needed to buy. Um, seems a little smart, quote unquote, but also very labor intensive because you have to maintain an inventory in your in your refrigerator now, along with stocking it. As you stocked it, I, I think they expect the user to look at the expiration dates mm -hmm. and add that in yourself. And it will it will track them. And mm -hmm. as the, the display guy was telling us today, it will email you updates. You have four days before your milk is expiring. Mm -hmm. You have two days. Or, hey, man, <laughs> replace your milk. Replace your milk, which if you're not drinking it, 
while you're there, chances are you're not at home, which is a little crazy, but you never know. Yeah. I've had things that no through no fault of my own just kind of get pushed into the back of the refrigerator and you forget about them. If it's something that you don't normally eat, then yeah, it just stays back there. That's but it, that is a perfect example, though, of if we take a step back and forget that we're talking about a television. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect, perfect example of what you and I saw two years ago at CS at the BK Yoon mm -hmm. um, Samsung keynote, where he pledged that within five years, I think it was 90 or maybe even 100% of all Samsung devices would be connected. They would be smart. So yeah. now you're starting to see uh, a lot of kitchen appliances, uh, a lot of regular everyday tools that we use around our home connected uh, within a smart Samsung controlled ecosystem. Yeah. And it all started with the phone and then it goes to a tablet. The televisions I have in my house now, they're Samsung and they sync with my phone. I can turn them on, turn them off. I can change the channel of my phone. I have Samsung washer and dryer. They're not the smart ones, but that was something that our gentleman that gave us the demonstration on the refrigerator you can connect with your washer and dryer, and when your laundry is done, it will go and give you an alert. Um, it'll also let you know how much time is left on there. You can pause the washer and go away for an hour and come back and start up the washer again. That never actually works. It always makes your clothes smell, but um, it is an option, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, he also was talking about how ranges and ovens can also be connected, so you can put your pot roast in there and then turn it on sometime later and cook it so they can be ready for a party that you're having that night and not have to go into the kitchen. That's actually quite useful. Especially if you're a one-man show and you're entertaining several guests. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to be running all over the place, filling up drinks and picking up spills and kicking out people who aren't supposed to be there. You know, that, that sort of stuff. Before we wrap up, I want to ask everybody, including myself, the one thing from CES that we haven't talked about that you think is a game changer for the rest of the year. And I'll start. And this is going to sound very simplistic, but we have an AIO modular water cooler from EVGA. And this is basically an expandable water cooling system. Water cooling right now is huge. We have um, DIY systems. We have companies like Fantex and Thermaltake. They're building fittings for people to build their own loops. These are the really decorative loops, but that's not a mainstream sort of cooling solution. AIO or the all-in-one is really that cooling solution from like Asetek and cooling and stuff like that. The solution that EVGA came up with is you have quick disconnect fittings and you just buy those as parts. So you can put in your two video cards with those water blocks, link them together, put in two radiators and have a CPU block. And that's the cooling loop that you have within your, your system. And you can change out radiators if you need to have a bigger one. You just pull out the radiator, you unhook it, and away you go. That, I think, is going to be like a real hot item for mainstream users that are wanting to get the most out of their systems. Not to put you on the spot, but what do you think, Greg? I don't know if there's one product that I think. Well, you could do more, not necessarily a product, but like a technology, something that you saw or a theme. Um, don't mention the RGB because that was on everything and it's just going to be there. It's going to spread like wildfire. Yep. Everything will be RGB within three years. <laughs> That's true. Uh, now, I think, I think everyday devices will become smarter. I mean, it's gonna, they're going to be connected. I mean, we're seeing it. We saw it, like you said, with phones, mm -hmm. um, refrigerators. We have watches now. Uh, the home is going to be more smart. And as we approach a more intelligent 
home and a more intelligent life. Uh, I'm unable to predict where that goes, but I think as we include deep learning into this, I think not only will our own homes become smarter, but I think we will be able to see trends in certain areas, mm -hmm. um, certain use cases. Um, so I think just the onward march of a smarter life is, is going to continue uninvaded in the next year. Yeah, I, I actually agree. I mean, that's something that if CES has taught us anything, if you see more than like five or 10 products down a hallway, just one hallway that's following the same theme, that's going to be pushed. And that was something we saw a digital experience with the mesh networking, something we, Greg and I saw on the very last day when we were walking around on our free day, walking around the show floor, several companies that had automation products that would upgrade your existing ecosystem in your house, mm -hmm. replacing breakers with smart breakers. So, you know, when they blow up or when they're going to blow up. Yeah. Um, so Rob, same question. This is a really tough one. Um, I'm not sure if this is highly appropriate, but uh, AMD's Ryzen has me really excited this year. And I feel like it could be a game changer just because Intel has been dominating for so long. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know, everybody knows that AMD's have been having a rough ride for a few years here. Yeah. So it's Ryzen is so hyped and AMD is promising a lot. Mm -hmm. So... If it lives up to its promises, it's really going to stick it to Intel, I think. And it's going to be great for consumers because all of those chips are going to be unlocked, which is perfect for people like you that overclock. Yep. And the performance is supposed to be on par with some of Intel's better chips. Yeah, like a mid-range Broadwell E is what I'm hearing. Exactly. And as long as pricing keeps up and what, like people are going to support AMD because we wanted this for so long. Yeah. And typically AMD was always the less expensive option, which is why so many people were fans. Um, well, and I don't think AMD needs to take the performance crown no. this generation no, they or just, ever. They just need to be more competitive. And I think with Ryzen, they're going to be. Mm -hmm. Well, we're already starting to see that, right? As you have mentioned a few times over the course of the week, AMD, uh, all of their product line is going to be unlocked, right? Mm -hmm. Well, with that knowledge, that forced Intel to release an i3, a budget processor that's unlocked. And I think that's going to have a lot of headroom. It'll be really interesting to see what people do mm -hmm. with the more affordable chips. Yeah. Yeah. The Pentium anniversary edition during Devil's Canyon release, that was huge with overclockers. I mean, it was an $80 CPU. It, it, from a CPU standpoint, it was, I call it a worthless chip, but it was one that you could play with. And that was really what people needed. Um, something cheap that you could just buy like three of them. You don't care if you blow it up because hey, I'll just go buy another one. Well, so that's where we're heading. And that's that's so exciting because we don't need perfect parity between AMD and Intel. Mm -hmm. We just need AMD close enough on their heels to make them add more features and do a little bit more to the processors, just like the i3 unlocked. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have more than just like a 200 megahertz bump in performance and stuff like that. So those were all great answers. I like it all. Can I add one? You can. VR. VR? Yeah. I mean, what makes VR so much better than it was last year? Because VR was big last year, too. It was, but this time last year it wasn't released. You couldn't buy a Vive. You couldn't buy an Oculus. That's true. Um, and so we are coming right up at a year uh, with access to VR in our home. 
And in that year, it's been amazing to watch it grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, just recently, I personally have a five. Okay. And just recently, Rob and I were in a meeting where they had a rift and they had the new move controllers. Yeah. And see, that that's the game changer, really. Because if it's just a headset, it's no different than going to the movies and putting 3D glasses on, in my opinion. Uh, of course, you can turn your head and you have this virtual space that you can move around in, but you couldn't interact with it. Well, it, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, once you have the headset on with no real decent controller other than what we're used to holding, mm-hmm. um, an Xbox-type uh, controller, it's a neat experience, but where do you go with that? Mm-hmm. It's just neat. Whereas the Vive allowed you to really, truly interact in 3D space, now with the controllers that the Rift has, and... Even the addition of the joystick, I think that's the big one, Rob. You played around with it as well. It it allows you to move more like you would with a controller, but you can move your arms uh, in, in any which way you want. Yeah, you can move uh, it in 3D space and it'll show up on the screen. Yeah. You can see it. Well, and tracking is, is one-to-one. And even uh, so with the controller uh, that you can buy for the Rift, mm-hmm. they add another tracker. And... Uh, uh, Vive released, or announced at least, another tracker that, that they're adding for better tracking uh, capabilities. So it's it's kind of a slow step forward from where we were this time last year with VR. Mm-hmm. I mean, the big thing this year has been titles, but we're moving into wireless capabilities. So you're no longer tethered to your computer. I think that's going to be huge. I mean, maybe not for homes mm-hmm. where you don't have a lot of room to begin with, we're actually already seeing that, so to speak. Darren had mentioned that there's a, a place in Salt Lake that allows you to basically run around in a building with 3D VR glasses on and interact. It's like first-person shooter and VR sort of situation. So, you know, that's the that's how they are approaching this now unlocked mobile VR space. Yeah. I don't know how safe that is going to be because, you know, our equilibrium is based off of what we can see. Mm-hmm. And if it perfectly maps the room then maybe you can run around and not run you know trip over your feet and stuff like that but um that would be interesting to see for sure yeah it's gonna be a really interesting year in vr well again those are all great for us ces 2017 is over and we're kind of looking forward to what comes later in the year to know more about rob and greg definitely check out tech age at techage.com and with that have a good day For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2017. Thanks for listening. on YouTube.